All right. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. I am extremely uh, honored, grateful, and humbled that we have with us today the one and only Mr. Gavin Wince. Now, I would like to say for the audience who will be watching or listening to this afterwards that uh, my respect and um, admiration for Gavin's work over the years in various fields, as a matter of fact, is uh, unparalleled because it's absolutely phenomenal in my humble opinion mainly because i've also been able to take a lot of gavin's work and not so much replace but as uh, not so much replace as much as interpret and then incorporate his work into even some of my own so without further ado mr wince how are you sir and thank you so much for coming on today the floor is yours i'm doing really good how are you doing i'm doing good man thank you so much so what i would like to do is introduce your audience to existics and where it comes from and how it came about so let's start with the with my famous analogy story right so when i was about 16 years old or so i was at my grandmother's house and we were discussing does time go by faster as you get older just kind of an off the cuff conversation you know something that that i would do right and my grandma said to me that time goes by so much faster for her when she, being at, at the time she was in her 90s. She said that she could practically watch the grass grow. Now, what happened was, is all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I, I realized there's actually a dilemma. And that is if if two people are engaging in some type of an experience together, whether it's a conversation or observing something, right? but they experience time at different at different rates of the passage of time, you have a break in continuity because one person would be further along the conversation than the other. So how can, how can interactions exist? How can conversations happen if people are in different timeframes, right? So, and mind you, at this time of my life, I didn't really know much about physics. I knew basic physics and saw a lot of Carl Sagan shows and things like that, but, but I didn't have like the deep mathematical background. And because I'd never heard anyone discussing relative rates of the passage of time in relation to our experience of time, this seemed like something that was unexplored. So I went down that rabbit hole. And ultimately what I end up creating is what I call existics. And existics ultimately is the theoretical backdrop to, resol to resolve that issue. So let's go a little bit further into the future. When I was about 19 years old at UC Davis, and I'm in a, in a philosophy of physics course learning about special relativity, all of a sudden I see, holy cow, Einstein was faced with the same situation where he has two observers in two different frames, two different uh, reference frames experiencing different rates of time. And this is the, the famous twin paradox where one of the twins accelerates away and comes back. And because they are an accelerated frame of reference, time goes by slower. So you have a differential in time so that when the twins arrive, one's older than the other. The thing that stood out to me, though, was that there was a fundamental missing aspect to special relativity that ironically existics captures. And what that is, is that, and the best place to look at that is at the midpoint in the journey. 
So let's look at, so let's say A is the one that stayed on earth and B is the one that took off and traveled because B is going through a slower rate of the passage of time. It's actually on a different timeline than A. So once you have relativistic motion and you and you have two temporal frames of reference that are flowing at different rates, you actually have to make two timelines. And so what's interesting is, is that if existence is true, then what that would mean is there has to be a situation where in special relativity, there is an expected measurement of a particle to arrive at a certain time, but from the measurers, from the, the observer's perspective, it actually showed up early. So when can the ask, yeah, so go ahead. sorry, Gavin, if uh, I don't mean to cut you off, um, can we, for the audience to visualize, can we envision the separate timelines as sort of old film reels? If that makes yeah, sense. we could do that. And and let me pull up. I've got a graphic I can pull up. Let's see here. Let me. Where is it? Okay, so there's the existence one. So let me, let me just show the existence stuff. Absolutely. And then please uh, continue on wherever you see mm -hmm. fit. Okay, so this is from my and I I should drop these documents. Well, I should give you these documents so that you can post them in the I just get Zoom and Telegram mixed up. One second. No okay. problem at all. All right, here we go. Okay. So the way existence works is is that you have so here's your two observers, A and B, right? And what's presumed is that this is the objective frame of reference relative to A, and this is the subjective frame of reference. Now, since we're talking physics, let's temporarily ignore the subjective frame of reference and just know that it's there. So A and B both have two different obje objective frames of reference, meaning they, they don't actually share the same objective reality, if you will. One of the presumptions of existence is that there actually is no objective reality in the sense of space and time. There's essentially just a sea of infinity that we're inside of, and and our relations with one another is what we would consider to be objective reality, but it's really just the combined relations between two interacting objects, people, what have you. So because of this, you can have two different timelines or two different rates of the passage of time relative to A and B. So, so this gets into the reference frame stuff. So what you have is you have, so, okay, slow down a little bit. So A and B are defined in terms of their relation to one another. So A is A relative to itself in combination with B's observation of A. And B is B's relation relative to itself and connected with a's observation or, or relative frame of reference of b so let me give it so here you go so what you have is so this is so this would be a's reference of b right there's there's a's reference of b relative to a and there's a's reference of b relative to b you would also have b's reference of a relative to a 
and B's reference of B of A relative to B, so on and so forth. So this is how the relative frames of reference become entangled with, with one another. So the A and B are both dependent on one another in a certain respect in order for their interaction to a to be able to occur. If if I can add to, to that, Gavin, mm -hmm. uh, just in real time here for my audience, uh, my audience knows that I speak quite often about the Casimir effect when you just take two metal plates and confine a certain point of quote unquote the vacuum. And I just want to say that your diagram above there does a beautiful job of showcasing how the Casimir effect could induce in the center point relative to the two parameters of the sure. plates. That's like, for instance, fact. yeah, and to, to take exactly what you said and expand upon it, notice that, okay, we've got A relative to B, B relative to A, right? Right. Well, if you're really thinking about this, that's going to lead to an infinite regression of A relative to B relative to A relative to B, back and forth infinitely. So this is where, ironically, in the situation you brought up, if you were to apply this to physics, if you had two plates close enough to, to one another to where you could create what I called an identity crisis, an identity crisis quite literally being a superposition of both what I call the inclusion principle and the exclusion principle. In that situation, which we'll get to, A and B are no longer distinguishable. So you have a superposition of them being both the same thing or not the same thing, depending on the frame of reference. So Love in your situation, what it is, is you've created an identity crisis, which then allows this iteration to occur. And that iteration could, could be mathematically converted into the, the, the push or the pull, depending on which frame you're operating on, right? Like, do you have the higher rate of the passage to, of time in between the plates or on the outside of the plates? This is, I, I love it. Thank you so much. This is awesome. So, so this is, again, this, sorry to scroll through this so fit fast, but existence quite literally is a study unto itself. It's existence is the study of the laws that govern existence. So if you really want to have a theory of everything, you actually have to account for extraordinary metaphysical issues that arise in language, in mathematics in our understanding of what it means to have identity, right? And then that has to then be projected into our physical understanding of the world. And so one of the ideas was if this very interesting scheme I call existence is true, then there would have to be mathematical equations that could be derived from it that would then have some sort of physical phenomena that, that goes outside prediction that when observed, would match the mathematics of existics, right? Okay. Um, yeah, this is pretty intense stuff. Let me just kind of go over the axioms really quick. So like, this is how existics goes. So the first assumption is existence is, we're just going to presume there is a such thing called existence and it just is the case. Therefore, something must exist right? Pretty simple deduction. Something is not nothing. Something is not everything. Something is one or more things. So from that, it would follow for something to exist, it must be an interaction with some other thing that exists. So this is where we get A and B. So notice that our first cause 
starts off with an interrelation between at least two things. So where this would apply in physics is let's, so let's assume that we have some kind of quanta pop out of the vacuum, right? And let's let that quanta pop out of the vacuum at an energy state that is just at or below the, the Planck constant, right? So what that means is it's outside our ability to measure it. So ironically, what it would be is a superposition of both coming out of and going back into the vacuum. However, it wouldn't be able to know, right? It, let, let's, from its frame of reference, it wouldn't know whether or not it was coming or going. So it would be a superposition of both, okay? And that superposition of both is essentially the, the, the baseline from which physical reality emerges, okay? So... So in, let's say, QC, QCD, this concept can quite literally be replaced with the axion and the theta parameter that's used to smooth out the time invariance issue that happens with QCD. That can be done with this concept of an, of a, an identity crisis, but at the lowest, lowest potential state. Just to clarify, when you say QCD, you mean quantum chromodynamics pertaining Correct. to the study of colors. In the Correct. vacuum. Right, right. Correct. Ironically, existics works. I was able to apply existics to quantum chromodynamics first. That was the first place that I was able to do it. And then slowly I was able to then apply it to to, to electro weak. And then and once I'd done that, I realized that ironically, charge, spin, and momentum can actually be accounted for using a three-dimensional time model. And when I did that, What's kind of funny, and I'll show this to you. Um, let's see here. Did when you right say three-dimensional model, could we potentially, and I say this more for my audience. Can you we, see this? Yes, yes. Okay. Could we view that as your sort of Z pinch, your X, Y, Z on the Cartesian plane, but the Z is, the, is a third new dimension, so to speak? Okay, so the way I do it, right, is I have your traditional metric where you've got your X, Y, Z, and then your temporal component with a with an imaginary extension, right? Right. Okay. But I do the same thing with three temporal components, and then and one spatial with an imaginary extension. I love that. Wow. You see what I'm saying? So what yeah. you can do is I can condense this. So I could just turn this tensor into a vector if I wanted to, right? Right. And plug it into here. Or I could condense this tensor into a vector and plug it in here. Now, up here, this is the super advanced stuff. I don't even touch this ever because I haven't been able to even get there yet, right? But notice you got observer one, observer two, and observer three. And then the, the fourth component is the spatial temporal interrelation between these two metrics. So what I finally realized, strangely enough, is that I actually independently derived quaternions, not even knowing it. So what this is, is this is actually the proper way to apply quaternions to physics. It's quite interesting because what happens is the individual is quite literally centered on the, on the unit quaternion where the value is equal to one. 
So basically, if two observers or two objects are the same, well, then that's because A over B equals one, they're one and the same. This but substantiates your the ancient philosophers worked uh, when they've said over the the, the decades uh, or the millennia rather you are the center of your reality literally right and right. so it's a trip is the quaternion uh, mathematics actually captures that so what you could think of is 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 uh, so let me go back to the existics diagram real quick I love that sketch by the way of the the face of the person all of them though but that one was very well done <laughs> so. So, so what it would be is, so he's, he's the, the unit quaternion, right? He's the one. So this would be the 3D space projected into the one rotation of the quaternion, where if you rotate it the other direction, you get the three temporal dimensions here, because strangely enough, 3D time quite works quite well with our internal um phenomena mechanisms but it also does the same thing with particles so what's interesting is 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 to really understand that what we experience as qualia or this internal states objects have as well but the way an object has it is it's not a conscious experience rather it's the frame of reference of which the parameters exists that allow it to maintain continuity in relation to other objects if that makes sense so you could consider uh, an object's uh, unit mass at pertaining to having mathematical components that would you could consider it subjective aspect but the objective the objective aspect is how that interrelates with other things objectively so it's extremely much more abstract with objects, but since we are things in the world, we can use our own experience and, and how we relate to the world as a way to understand everything else around us. So I, it's quite- This is like uh, the coolest description I've ever seen, even from a philosophical standpoint. This is, I'm just having a blast at the moment. So thank you. So let's see. Okay, so the math, let me show you the math of existence. This is the crazy stuff, okay? Like, right. I don't even know how I did this, all right? This <laughs> is a whole discussion into and of itself. Can I ask before you start, did you happen to use your intuition looking back? It's all, see, here's, this is why this is such a slap in the face of the, mm. of the modernist right. physics community. Right. This was 100% intuitively derived. Okay? Right. You could even say that there were like, I don't want to say paranormal because that, you know, I don't want to put myself in a box, but, you know, spiritual experiences, whatever you want to consider deep meditation, basically going deep inside the, if you really want to know where a lot of this was built out, was inside um, lucid dreaming states. Okay. So what's interesting is I'm modeling out how the subjective frame of reference pertains to objective reality through going into lucid dreaming states okay all right so let's go to the equation so 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 again a o b a and b are two different things right and we're going to let the mathematical relationship between a over b when a is the the numerator be n and then we can flip it for its inverse and get u such that they're u times n equals one, 
right? Pretty basic, simple notation. Can I just say very quickly, just because this uh -huh. is, stuff is exciting to me, to, uh, to add to your, um, is exciting me rather, to to add to what you're saying here. This also speaks to, to me uh, with respects to the Pauli exclusion principle with the half your electron spin, right? It a hundred percent there. And what I'm hoping to is that I can, because I, you know, if I can get through enough of this stuff, what I'll show you is how to deal the, the solution to the measurement problem. Because, because I, I was on the phone with, uh, okay, one of my colleagues that helped me develop all this stuff, his name was Harold Dean Brown, one of the inventors of the microchip, worked at a company called Zylog. I had the opportunity to speak with his colleague, Federico Fagan, who's essentially the inventor of the microchip. I spoke to him about a week ago or so about these issues. And what was really interesting about the conversation well, I just lost my train of thought. What did you mention? Because you said something that caused me to to go that The direction. Pauli exclusion principle, the half integer spin. So half of the electron would stay in this reality and the other half would sort of dissolve into the ether, the vacuum, whatever you'd want to call it. Okay. What he threw at me was, how do you deal with the measurement problem? And I hadn't thought about this for a while because you got to realize existence is quite literally 27 years old. Okay. And the application of, of existics to physics is quite literally 20 years old. So sometimes I have to go back and go through my notes and go, oh yeah, that, right? And sometimes when I do that, I have a, oh my gosh, I didn't quite think that through. And now I'm looking at it. Something I like to do is forget all of my material. So you'll see that I put all these like three hour videos of me showing how existics relates to physics, right? 10 years ago. So I'll go forget it all, then go back and watch it and try to rederive it. Because for me, that's the easiest and cleanest way to find my mistakes. Because what I notice with physicists is because they spend so much time on their own material, they're lost in the forest. They're staring at trees. They can't ever. So they'll just keep repeating the same mistakes because they haven't taken a break from it distance themselves from it to then come back at it and look at it with fresh eyes. So what Fagan made me do was go back and look at the measurement problem and having done so, I was like, oh my gosh, it's right there in front of my face. So we'll, that's where we'll go. Okay. So, so when we think about this, okay, if we're going so let's say A's grandma and B's me, we want to find out where grandma and I are in relation to each other in our conversation, right? Grandma is experiencing time so much faster than me. How do we calculate it, right? But in order to calculate it, we have to take into account the infinite frames of reference, the iteration that happens where if there's a grandma relative to me and a me relative to my grandma, then there's a me relative to my grandma relative to my grandma and a me relative to my grandma relative to me relative to my grandma ad infinitum, quite literally like when you hold up two mirrors and you get that infinite regression of, of reflections in both directions. But what you could say on one side of the mirrors is that's relative to A and then on the other side of the mirrors, that's relative to B. So what the existence equations are doing is linking all those different iterates in relation to one another so that you can have invariance in their interactions. So the way I came to this, and I don't know how, 
was to use a very peculiar form of continued fractions. Now, usually, and what this is, is so this is, this is A, this is B relative to A, relative to B relative to A, relative to B relative to A, relative to B relative to A, so on and so forth. So this is from A's perspective of the, of the iteration. I just want to say, I'm so sorry, man, you're, you're exciting the heck out of me with this stuff. I was just working on a, a paper this morning pertaining to the magnetic vector potential squared and how there's gauge invariance, even as you go fractally along the, the you could say the throat of the wormhole. You want to know it's freaking crazy mm. on one of my videos and I could show it. I do a proof to show because and to jump ahead. Yeah. Um, when you actually solve for where a and b are in relation to each other and you plug those numbers in they have the same ratio as a over b right. so what's trippy about that is that actually means they're invariance it also means that i could use a, a kind of a bootleg geometrical proof to show that this is another way of deriving 90 degree angles so strangely enough this is a way of using continued fractions to derive right angles it's quite literally an alternative to the pythagorean theorem but with continued fractions. So this, so part of the reason why I'm emphasizing this is these equations by themselves are extraordinarily unique. And over the past 27 years, I've never seen anyone else having done these. And can I Go can I say uh, even more specifically for my audience, for the the portion of the audience that is not as scientifically oriented or mathematically, what and please correct me, Gavin, if I'm wrong. What we're saying here is when we say gauge invariance is is a fancy way of essentially saying there is perhaps in practicality an underlying energy or substrate at the quantum level that interlinks all of all material phenomena, regardless of where, how they're structured, etc. Right. And I actually right. could show that that's a particular uh, interrelation between two temporal components. So where was I with this thing? Okay. So, all right. So this basically mathematically represents A relative to B relative to A relative to B relative to A in relation to A. Okay. And then here's the, uh, the, the other component. B relative to A relative B relative A, all of that in relation to B. So notice that these are strangely opposite equal in a very fun way. Now, what's a trip is, okay, so I want to solve for N star, which is basically this. Now, what's neat about solving for this is because this is goes on to infinity, I can remove this. I could remove this, but this will always be that same value. So strangely enough, I can actually pull out N prime and just put N star because since this equals N star and since I'm adding it up there, A plus N star over B equals N star. Does Do you understand what I mean by that? Okay. So, so that's, so I do this. So now I'll just substitute N star in. And so when I just go through the basic, just algebra, I'm able to reduce these continued fractions to very specific values. So the 
so the major breakthrough here that Dean Brown was shocked at is that everyone thought these were just going to blow up and go to infinity, that those would diverge, but they don't. They converge to exact specific values. Okay, so here, so let's show this uh, being applied. And then, okay, so then what you do is you take the n star, subtract one, and add it to a to get a. And then you take, uh, and okay, I'm jumping ahead. All right. So when a equals b, the identity, in, and I call this the identity constant. When a equals b, the identity constant is one. When a and b are not equal, we use the continued fractions and we get the number i, which is just greater than one. So this serves as a way to to have invariance when we when we don't have when we're drip when we've drifted away from simultaneity, quite literally. Okay. Okay, so that's the I here. Where if these were well, okay. All right, so so this is how you find A and B in relation to where they are. So this, so let's say when I'm 20 years old, right? My and so grandma's a hundred, I'm 20. So I add the 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 change to grandma, find out she's actually 105.25 when I'm 20 relative to her, or I'm 19.125 when she's a hundred relative to her. So let me, so here we go. So suppose we have two persons, person A, hundred years old, person B, who's 20, right? So here they are. So A is five units to, is five to one in relation to B and B is 0.2 in relation to A. So for instance, one minute to B would be five minutes to A or 0.2 minutes to, to B would be one minute to A. You see? So then what we do is we bring, and, and this is where Einstein stuff actually is consistent with, with the existence, but Existing shows actually this isn't correct because that we need to adjust for the infinite relations, right? So that's where the continued fraction comes in. So when I do the calculation, I get instead of five, I get 5.2632 and instead of 0 0.2, 0.1980. So then to find where they are in relation to each other. So we, we subtract the identity constant from n star and add that to a and get 1.04.2211. And then we do the same thing for B. Okay, so here's here's the 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 ta-da, right? Let me move this thing. Okay. So at the event relative to A, A relative to A is is a hundred units of age. B relative to A is 20 units of age. And B relative to B is 19.1559 units of age. So at event A, so here's A experiencing conversation. Yeah, I'm so old that I can see grass grow. And I'm like, really? That's crazy. Well, relative to grandma, she's talking to me relative to her. But me relative to me is actually like, I, I'm not there yet in my timeline. But then... In event B, which is when I'm having the conversation with grandma and she's like, yeah, I'm so old, I can watch the grass go. I'm like, really? That's crazy. 
when I'm experiencing it, she's actually at 1.4 at 104.22 in the timeline. So they're proportional and they move together. Yes. 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 I see. So, so, so what's weird is this is a way to have invariance without simultaneity because obviously simultaneity has been broken. I've got two different events, but I'm able to maintain the invariance by using these equations. And what makes the invariance possible is the fact, do I even have it? This essay is so old, I don't even think I have it in here. Um, I'll have to draw it. Hold on one second. You're speaking my language, by the way. Here, it's right here. So, so, And this is something that I didn't even realize till maybe 15 years into this stuff. But A over B equals N star minus I over I minus U star. So sorry for this. For Okay. So what it is, is the adjustments have the same, maintain the same ratio as the original values, right? So let me right. graph that for you. And this is where I was, this is, this is the, one of the most exciting parts of this. Okay, so here's N star minus I, here's I minus U star, here's A, B, A asterisk, B asterisk. So here's what you get. So, so here's the point of A to B, right? So that's where we have the 100 to 20, right? So that would have a slope of five. Well, A star in relation to B star maintains that same slope angle because the this over this has the same value okay you, now yes yep yep okay now what's cool about this this is really simple math right now here's where this gets absolutely mind-boggling if i take this triangle and just rotate it down like this right right to basically do a basic uh, geometric proof that that's a not that that's a right angle. Guess what this triangle quite literally gives me? The other side. No, the same math for the unitary triangle in quantum in uh, in uh, what you call it the what's it called? You know what I'm talking about? The unitary triangle for the Kabibo angle. Oh my gosh, that's even with um that's also the uh the Yang Mills stuff. Yes, and even uh, the the Roger Penrose um uh, event horizon of a wormhole. Exactly. So what it is is I can then take these equations and plug them into QCD, QED and and uh electroweak theory. Right. And then this triangle can account for broken symmetry and the stabilization of it correct yep yep okay it's, i i, I want to thank you by the way for uh because you, you those words you use there are the exact words i used in my presentation at apec and i want to thank you for letting me put your uh your existics works in one of my slides there oh, absolutely no that, that's okay so so now let's go to the adjusted twin paradox because this is this is when we start getting serious, right? Okay. 
So, okay, so here's here's your generic twin paradox, A and B, right? B is going to hop in the rocket, hop into the rocket ship and go. And here's your tradi your traditional Lorentz transform to calculate how many units of time A and B have experienced in relation to one another. But notice this doesn't account for the infinite frames of reference that existix does. So we're going to go ahead and apply the existix equations to the the twin paradox, and we get the same situation where there's a future, a present, and past in relation to each one. So when A relative to A is in the present, B relative to B is in the past, but when B makes its way up to the present, A is in the future. And this isn't the right diagram for that. Here's the right diagram for that. Okay, so here we have at the midpoint, B's moving at relative frames of reference, uh, B's moving at relativistic, with relativistic motion because it's an accelerated frame. So we have to apply the Lorentz transform to calculate for that. And then we apply the existix equations. And then this is what we end up having happen. Um, a is at a faster rate of change than A relative to B. And B is at a slower rate of change than B relative to A. A comes from a faster rate of change compared to the initial B, and A relative B is at a slower rate of change compared to the initial A. The result is that B arrives having a faster rate of change than predicted, and B arrives at an earlier time than expected. B is older than expected, arriving early. This is an additional time displacement for A and B relative to their common center of time unaccounted for in relativity. So the punchline is down here. Where are we at? Okay. Therefore, when B finally arrives at A, he knows he took longer than he should have and says, sorry, I'm late. However, A looks at his brother with astonishment and says, oh, you've arrived early. To both of their surprise, the clock that B took with him reports that B took longer to arrive than predicted. Also, the clock that A has with him reports that B has arrived ahead of schedule. To so me, basically, a personal interpretation, to me, this mm -hmm. speaks to the idea of the now uh, creating the future and then generating the past and or vice versa. Okay, so this is where I need to get you to modify your understanding of time to understand how the present comes into play. Because once you can actually understand time from a three-dimensional perspective, all of this clicks, okay? Now, when I say three-dimensional time, I don't mean the past, present, future in three orthogonal directions, okay? What I mean is that time itself actually has three components that can be broken down into dimensions. And so I'll go ahead and present those. Love this. Right? Isn't this fun? Oh, extremely. My audience, I have a feeling they'll love this very much. Okay. So can you see that? Can you see the, the yes. YouTube video? Okay. Yep. All right. So we'll go ahead and mute this.
by the way, you can go get a lot of the stuff off the Existix 101 page. Um, that's where I have a lot of this how or my YouTube channel. Okay, so here you go. This is conventional time, right? Ignore the XY plane for a moment and just think of this as linear time, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and now we've, we're taking into account the timeline relative to A and the timeline relative to B. Since A and B are not in the, since A and B are experiencing different rates of the passage of time, they are not tracking along the same temporal. Sorry, timeline. Gavin, it, it, the screen froze right when you went full screen. Oh, okay. Let's see. Here's what I'll do. I paused it. Maybe that that's, is that what you mean? Um, it wouldn't, right when you went full screen, I think it opened a separate window. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, oh. let's see now. Hold on. Sure. Let's see. Technical difficulties. Please stand by. No problem. Can you see that? Yes. So you're saying if I make it full screen, that it, creates a problem? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so be it. Okay. This I, I can see. It. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so right here, this is linear time, right? Right. All right. So as soon as, as soon as, as B gets in the rocket ship and takes off, A and B are no longer sharing the same rate of the passage of time. So we now have two timelines rather than one. So the green line is relative to B and the blue line is relative to A. And so what the existence equations would show is where along a center of time line where they would be in relation to one another. So for instance, when B is, so you could draw the little triangle right this, right? And so what it'd be is when A is here, B is slightly further behind. And then when B catches up here, A is slightly further ahead. So the, the existence equations allows you to basically drop 90 degree angles from these two dive, uh, divergent timelines onto linear time to show where they would be in relation to each other on a, in a center of time frame. Does that make this, sense? Not only that, but this also, in my opinion, satisfies what you'd call the Stokes parameters for mon, what are called um, monochromatic, uh, monochromatic Gaussian beams. In other words, uh, essentially unifying the, the codification of Maxwell's quaternions in electromagnetic. Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. That's why... If you think about it, the three-dimensional time, so three time plus one allows you to bring the quaternions in, and it's the quaternion application of 3D time that accounts for charge, spin, and momentum. And just real quickly, in, in this, there's four charges. There's plus forward, plus reverse, minus forward, minus reverse. And because forward time is slightly ahead than reverse time, what you can have is a situation where you can collapse, where forward, a forward moving, though a forward moving plus charge 
is equivalent to a reverse moving minus charge, the plus charge is going to collapse the probability of the minus charge because it's further along in time. And we're going to come to that in a minute. And vice versa, I would take it. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and bring in the third dimensional time aspect, passage. Okay, so what we have here is A and B are experiencing different rates of the passage of time in a period present time plane. So what linear time can be broken down into is periods per present moments, right? So the present component, you can think of as an, so this, com this uh, component here would be an ever-present moment, right? So you could have, so, and then this would be a single, you'd have the past, present, and future within a single moment. So you can, so, and then you can slide the linear timeline either direction. So I can slide it this way, right? And slow time down, or I can slide it this way and speed time up. So I can quite literally bring the Lorentz transform and set it equivalent to different slope angles of periods per present. Does that make sense? Big time, absolutely. But not only that, I also have a vertical component where I can change the rate of the passage of time separately. So this is where variable speed of light can come in, where I can maintain the speed of light in the period per present plane, but I can have faster than light frames of reference based on varying rates of the passage of time. So this, for instance, yeah, yeah. And this is extremely significant when it comes in the symmetries because I can apply the unitary triangle to the period present plane and account for quantum chromodynamics, uh, gauge theory, et cetera. But I can then bring it up here and account for new things that we saw with the, the uh, mass of the W boson at Fermilab the change in mass can be attributed to a rate change in the rate of the passage of time with the vertical component while maintaining the gauge invariance on this plane, even though you've broken mass symmetry. So, yep, this is the man you're, you've made my whole day with this stuff and I love the visuals by the way. So here's, so here's looking at it in relation to passage and period. So here's, so here's B having traveled in the rocket ship, right? Here's A having stayed at home. And here's the moment of when A is here, B is here. And when B is here, A is here. And then this would be the center of time frame of reference where the same, where had either of them not moved, you would have the same slope angle as them having moved in relation to the potential. So, so that's 3D time in a nutshell. That is 
in, I, I'm in full agreement with you, by the way, with everything that you've put here with respect to the time uh, when people talk about, for example, oh, I had an experience where I was missing time. I wouldn't necessarily say it was missing so much as it was dilated in the way you presented. Um, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, this this is awesome. I just wanted to 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 thank you for. Well, first, let me say to the audience that Gavin and myself have agreed to uh, do sort of a series laying this out. And uh, I will say on the on the record here that I'd love to, uh, without putting you on the spot, I'd love to incorporate your existence in some of my upcoming papers, and of course, uh, re uh, reference you and cite you and all of that as a as a co-author and all of this. But th this is absolutely incredible, and I, I want to thank you for for sticking with it because it really unifies it provides a, a, an answer to quote unquote reality in my opinion right so i'll leave you we'll leave with this right so let's let's jump to the measurement problem sure really quick so the so the problem with the measure so the issue with the measurement problem is what happens to the superposition once a measurement's made right because the superposition will give you one probability but then you have to adjust the way you have to adjust the equation once the probability has happened because you can't have the missing aspects. So you adjust it. So what's the justification for the adjustment? So, so in, okay, so let's go back to that initial condition, right? So in the initial condition, we have, and this is how I'll draw it. So we have a, a quantum fluctuation and we can't tell, is it coming or going? Is it popping out of the vacuum or is it going back in? Because it's at a small enough distance that it's unmeasurable, right? So it quite literally becomes the superposition of two potential states, a going state or a leaving state. Due right? to the third time derivative, would you say? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. And so what it is is, and where this is fun is the present time component is what's pointing at us, okay? And that's where everything gets confused. So we're like, how can particles be entangled that are very far apart? And it's because they're temporally in proximity to one another. Could the, present, the present time coordinate allows things to be temporally in proximity, though spatially separate and so what entanglement is is that they're indistinguishable temporally so two particles that are entangled are sharing the same time and that's why they're indistinguishable but they're spread out over space because of the different rates of the passage of time can i and so if is, I, oh sorry no, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say to add to first off, let me just say, and I'm not saying this because you're here, because I do disagree with when others come on my show, but everything you're saying here, I'm in full agreement with also because it literally adds up to my numbers as well, as we've discussed in uh, some group mm -hmm. chats some many months back and all of that. But please tell me if this is a bad example for the the part of the audience that is not as mathematical or scientific imagine sitting on you have a t you have two tvs set up on the wall separately but on the same wall in your bedroom and you have one remote control that controls the both of them but as you switch say to channel 10 on the right tv then on the left tv it automatically goes to channel one and vice versa but they're both being controlled from the same controller exactly and so the, right. the mystery would be 
how can these things switch instantaneously because it violates speed of light? The problem is, is that general relativity and special relativity only have one time dimension. Right. And that is the, that is the problem. So once you bring the extra time dimensions in, what you can do is you can use the present moment as a, as a, as a vector. Right. So that you could, so that what you could do is, so this is how this stuff gets trippy, right? So, so picture, here we go. Let me draw this really quick. So we got past, present, and future. Okay. So notice the present can be a, a dimension orthogonal to pass to pre, uh, period. So periods are moving from the past into the present, into the future, but we have, it's so hard to do this. <laughs> oh, we it's have good. all these, all the horizontal lines are different present moments, right? Right. But we can assign present moment one, present moment two, present moment three to different spatial coordinates. So then that becomes your probability distribution of the superpositions because you can use the, the spatial component juxtaposed with it to give you the variation. So, so the way I like to think of the present moment is a series of a photo of the same moment spread across. So whereas going this way it's the each image as it changes so this would be your video reel your, right. your film reel where this would be the same frame repeating over and over and the drag rate would be going faster than the speed of light in your now correct right right but you can attach spatial components to this and even though it's the same moment you can change the the, the symmetry of the spatial aspect. And so basically this is where all the weird quantum stuff is happening is that it's all happening along the same coordinate. So by bringing in the extra time dimensions, it allows simultane simultaneity to be a line that you can spread, you can distribute things across and still have them in proximity. To with the, and also not only that, but without loss of generality as well. Exactly. Like yeah. there's no loss of conservation of energy, even though simultaneity can be broken. Can I just say that it is of my humble opinion, you also describe the principles fundamentally of how UAP or UFOs operate. Do you want to go? Do you want to go that direction? If you like, I was I was going to ask kindly if perhaps we could we could wrap it up in the next handful of minutes just because there's yeah. so much quality stuff here and we'll okay yeah I yeah will, so what we yeah. could do is we need to have a deep dive into UAP because there's there's two things going on even though there's kind of one thing going on right right <laughs> we have to acknowledge that there is the laser induced plasma technology that can be used to create a yeah a holographic image yeah in both real space and on a radar right. for purposes of which is the actual target, which isn't, right? Right, right. It's, yes. it's like a nut and shell game, right? Yep. And I believe that's what the Nimitz 
was seeing was basically laser-induced plasma. Like these weren't discs breaking the laws of physics. This is just someone with a freaking laser beam pointing it around quickly, right? Now, the reason the why- converter example with the TVs. Yeah, exactly. Right, and the right. reason why I can speak to this, at the time that my dad was the director of marketing for Lockheed Martin out of Norton Air Force Base, okay? After he worked at a company called Tracor Aviation, which had contracts off of El Toro base. The purpose of what he was doing was they were creating drone aircraft to shoot down. Okay. So that's what my dad's job was in the eighties. All right. right. So let's jump to the nineties. And my dad's like, Hey, I want you to come to the base. I want to show you something, but you can't talk about it. Now, technically I, I can't talk about it, but it's in the public. So I can so my, I go to my dad's base. This is 1992. And I go in there and there's Pink Floyd setting up all of their laser equipment using quite literally Lockheed Martin's laser technology so that they can do their shows. So if you stop and think about it, the irony is, is that the tech that, that I was observing Pink Floyd using for their laser shows. Cause watch, they're able to get those lasers to coordinate and all that stuff. Well, that would be the same tech that if you just added a little extra to it, you could then make these glowing objects in the sky that are basically like, you know, have some invisible, some invisible laser spectrum right. interface and create plasma in a visible range. Yeah. And then you're just going to see that object. And what I'll tell you is <clears throat> Because I'm kind of comfortable talking about some of these things, I'm going to have to, one of these times, go deep into how a friend of mine used to get trolled by this stuff. Because what we would do is we'd go out and kind of like try to see things, right? Like he was more crazy than I was. He would drive out to Area 51 and literally climb up the mountain and camp out and all this shit. Like he got round out a couple times, right? Like... In the 90s, they did, that's when there's no Area 51. So when we're in our 20s, it's like, oh, yeah, well, let's go find out. Well, what's funny is when you go poke around the bases, right, they'll poke back. So, so strangely enough, we had situations where we were being followed around by glowing balls that oddly enough had white vans with them. Wherever the glowing ball went, the white van went, right? And right. Then we were freaked out, right? This is this is right. super sketchy stuff. Well, spoke to a friend who's who worked who used to work at El Toro, who's still involved in the Air Force stuff, right? And he said, Yeah, we would totally do that. When people would poke around, we'd quite literally troll them with the very thing that they thought they were looking for. To just run the curiosity seekers off. Now, why that's kind of funny is my grandpa, he was high up in the NTSB. He was he had clearances. So he was one of the guys that when the top secret aircraft crashed, my grandpa would go do the recovery. And one time he came to me and he said, you know, Gavin, there are no aliens. It's all us. And we have guys out there that will that will say it's aliens to create the psyop essentially to get the curiosity seekers on down the wrong path 
so that we don't lose, you know, technological dominance. So the what he tried to now whether aliens exist or not, let's make that a separate issue. What he was making me understand is that most of the UFO stuff is psyop to create ambiguity as to what the technology actually is and to basically gaslight the enemy. And to also drive, I mean, to the point of psychologically driving some, certain people so insane with lie after lie after lie. Exactly. That, like that one case, I can't remember his name, but the one Paul guy. Ben, Paul Benowitz? Yeah, I think yeah. that's a, a perfect example of how that can get out of control. With uh, you know. you're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Richard uh, Doty, I believe, driving Paul right. Benowitz crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of people that actually, from various elements of the military, have come out and said they didn't like that he put he took it that far with driving. Yeah, like scare yeah. people off the base and have a little fun with it's one thing. Yeah, but to, but to then you know, screw with someone's mental states like that's not cool i i completely agree and i just want to say that i'm also in very strong agreement with everything you said i think that the vast majority of sightings uh, can be explained from a um not only from an existence perspective but also from the fact that if this was something potentially that was tapped say in the 50s 60s hell even the, let's just be let's just say the 70s even though you and i both i think we both know it was far before then to apply that then to even inducing, say, an acoustic vibration into that plasma ball, you can then have now speaking plasma balls or orbs that will then. Well, mess so think up. about so think about it. So, OK, let's go fuck with these campers. Right. right. <laughs> right. So like you have your little your white vans pull up. Right. And right. then the guy in the back who's got the remote control and everything or however they're doing because there's probably a million ways to do this. Right. And then you just float a glowing ball over the campers. And then it's like. We are from another planet. We come in peace, right? You're just completely trolling, having to hit the mute button because you're laughing. And now you've got a group of people that think they've had a, a contact experience. So now you can have your CIA media personalities go interview these people, right? And start pushing this stuff on some of these platforms. And oh my gosh, right? And it's really just a, a very involved DOD a psychological operation to cover up technology that they don't want people understanding how it works. And it's unfortunate because if there any was if there ever if there is any type of interdimensional crypto terrestrial even extraterrestrial presence um forgive me if I'm leaving anything out then it really again this it really messes with people's heads as to what's real or what's not which is why i think your work does a great job of discerning using both logic and intuition and a perfect balance of the two to discern what are we really dealing with here because if we were to think that laser beams are um, a fractal or mini simulation of light rays from the sun then we then think from that perspective of okay what could be done after a laser beam is shot out in a unfortunately uh, in a weaponizable sense there's also the other side of that in my opinion which you perhaps would agree with which is the medical healing aspect of this tech mm -hmm. but of course you know that's seldom seen publicly yeah i it's it's just one of those things right like right. like are they really looking for a theory of everything or is the theory of everything locked up in yeah. dod contracts and it's a national security risk to allow the deeper understandings of how gravity right. works. You know what I'm saying? Like, I what go kind with the of one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like yeah. what kind of weaponry comes out of a theory of everything. And so that's probably the reason why, in my opinion, 
the theory of everything's actually suppressed, not unknown. Well, uh, to add to your point, which I agree with, what comes out of it is the weaponization of the suppression of the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would fully agree. But with that said, I, I'd love to wrap this up. But mm -hmm. I, well, actually, no, I, I don't love to wrap it up, but I really appreciate the way you've presented and everything you've done here. And I would like to say to the audience that uh, you folks will see uh, much more of Gavin down the road. And please, Gavin, tell uh, my audience where and how you could be found. As I said, this will be uh, for the first week on the member side, and then it'll be public seven to eight days from today. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a YouTube channel. Um, that's just Gavin Wentz on YouTube. If you type in existics, which is literally the word exist, I see, right? Existics. Um, you can find all material or existics101.com, or you can find me on Twitter and talk with me because I, I enjoy engaging people on this stuff as well. So. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody. And again, for those that have not signed up to the Patreon, please consider doing so. Patreon.com slash Generation Z, more so for when this goes public uh, shortly down the road. And we'll catch everybody soon. Thank you so very much, Gavin. Mm -hmm.